0: Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Redefined. I am your host, Cindy Stibbard, and I am so grateful that you are joining us this week because as we head into Valentine's week, I want to talk about something that I actually have never spoken directly about or in depth about on this show, and that is sex. Yep, <laughs> I said it out loud. And so tune in if you want to get a little bit more into what we are going to talk about today, because I do have a very interesting guest, which I know that a lot of you are going to be curious about. Because when we think about Valentine's Day, we often think of romance, and in romance, we often think of intimacy. And there is so much involved in intimacy, especially when it comes down to relationships, especially when it comes down to healthy romantic partnerships and how to really spice up your relationship if you could potentially be struggling. So my guest today is Claudia Six. She's got the perfect last name for what she does for a living. <laughs> <laughs> She's a clinical sexologist and relationship coach, author of Erotic Integrity, a TEDx speaker, and a USF prof- professor. Is that right, Claudia? Well, welcome yes, to the yes. show. Yes. Okay. Welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. And I'm really excited to talk about this topic because it is one of my favorite conversations to have. And I haven't yet had this talk yet on this show. So welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, your last name Six is like almost almost like you were supposed to go down this path.
1: <laughs> I know. It's perfect. People remember it. I was, um, you want a little bit about my history and kind of...
0: Yes. What led you down this path of becoming a sexologist?
1: Okay. My origin story. I was born and raised in Paris, France. lived there till I was nineteen. So I grew up bilingual. I don't have a sexy French accent. Um, my mother was British, so I was I always spoke English. And in Paris, I would take the metro as a child, and I would see, you know, prostitutes, cross dressers, transvestites. Um, you know, all all manner of. Um, sexual variety and they were part of general population. They weren't an anomaly and they weren't, you know, stared at or it was just, you know, normal, much as I dislike Mm -hmm. the word normal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, French culture is more comfortable with sexuality than Americans are. So... I grew up with more inherently more comfort around sexuality. And my parents, probably figuring they were buying themselves some time, figured they were going to wait until I asked questions. They weren't going to give me a Birds and the Bees. Mm. Well, by the time I was five years old, I had asked all the questions. So at five years old, I had all the information. Wow. I know. That's really. I, I know. <laughs> Uh, and uh, as a teenager, I personally was a late bloomer, but my, when I was 15, you know, my friends were riding on the back of motorcycles and having abortions, and I was the one saying, you know, get yourself some birth control and don't do anything you don't want to do and make sure you're getting pleasure out of it and it's, just, it's not just for him. Mm. So I had no hands-on experience, but I had all the information that some of them didn't have. Right. And then in college, uh, I had a friend who was going through a hard time, and we would talk on the phone a lot. And one day she said, God, Claudia, you always say the right thing. You always make me feel so much better. You should be a sex therapist. And we both chuckled. (laughs) And I hung up the phone, and I thought, hmm because at the time I was a ski bum in Aspen and I was kind of lost and confused. (laughs) So I went back to school and I finished an undergrad graduate degree in geography. I did mention I was lost and confused (laughs) and I was in college to get a degree. So I got a degree in geography and there were lots of guys in the geography department. So that worked for me. And, um, I kind of saw the light. I kind of I realized that I, want, I knew that I wanted to help people, mm-hmm. but I kind of got clear about my friend's comment about being a sex therapist actually being a really good option for me. Mm-hmm. And so after my degree in geography, I did a couple years of prerequisite psychology classes because I'd never had one. And then I had to find a master's program that would accept me. Was a former ski bum and you know former water ski instructor and um, geography major, so that wasn't mm-hmm. easy. But I found a master's degree that would um, the master's program that would accept me, and then I got a PhD in clinical sexology. So in the master's, I learned all about how to do therapy, mm-hmm. and then in the PhD, I learned all about human sexuality, and then I wow. became board certified by the American Board of Sexology.
0: Wow. Look at your path right from the age of five years old. You know, it was almost like paved its way to come to you naturally. Yeah. So I'm, that's so that's so interesting. And I love that you, it, I don't meet very many sexologists, to be honest. <laughs> and so I think it's such a unique skill. Now let's talk about what would bring people to you and do you work specifically with individuals? Do you work with couples? You know, I know that sex is a hot topic and it can go really deep for a lot of people. How does someone know when they might be in need of someone like you?
1: People usually wait way too long. Mm. Wait till they're in crisis. I'm always telling people don't wait until you're in crisis. I work with individuals and couples, whoever is willing to come see me. Um, I work with as many men as I do women. And people come and see me for a variety of reasons. It, some of the more popular reasons are what in Psychobabble is called desire discrepancy, where one person wants sex more than the other, or when one person has desire and the other one doesn't. And I can say more about desire. There are... Um, empty nesters, you know, the kids have left and they're kind of looking at each other like, oh, like Mm -hmm. now what? Right. Do we stay together? Do we try to sort of rebuild this? Um, Do we try to infuse some life into this marriage that's gotten very complacent? Sometimes I see people who were married for 20 years and are recently single and don't really know how to date, don't know how to put on a condom, don't know how to write... um, you know, um, a dating app ad. Mm-hmm. I see people who are dealing with infidelity. Sometimes I see people where one person is kind of n- discovering or coming to terms with the fact that maybe they're bisexual or maybe they have a kink, like they're a little more dom, and
0: mm-hmm. they're trying
1: to figure out how to live their eroticism authentically within the context of the relationship that they're in Mm -hmm. and how to introduce that into the relationship if it's possible Right Sometimes I see couples where one person wants to leave and the other one wants to stay and I see a lot of couples with young kids where Mm -hmm. you know sex leads to having children but children are
0: the death of sex Mm -hmm. (laughs) And yes, that, that that can be very true for a lot of people,
1: yeah, and they're you know exhausted and unappreciated and busy with kids and maybe letting themselves go and neglecting the relationship, which is actually the container
0: for these children to grow up in, right so those so, are
1: some, yeah,
0: yeah, those are those are such great Things. And when, you know, how important you think of when you say that couples come to you sometimes when they're on the, they're on the fence, you know, like one's wanting to leave the marriage and one's wanting to, to, to stay, or you're 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 with couples that are struggling. Like how important. Of a role does sex play in connection, in happiness, in a healthy functioning relationship? Because I do hear this a lot. You know, I've done my fair share of research that we can have a relationship that doesn't have a lot of sex, we can choose that. But I often look at that as more of a You're either choosing that for a lifestyle choice, you're choosing this just for companionship as a roommate syndrome, or there's something else there. Because in my opinion, I think that in order to make us romantic partners, sex plays a really big and important role and to be connected on that deeper level of intimacy. I mean, this is my opinion, but I'd love to hear what you think in terms of how important is sex in our relationship.
1: Well, you know, there's a saying, sex is only 5% of a relationship if you're having it. If you're not having it, it's 95%. Mm. Mm. Okay. So it takes on more important proportions when you're not having it if one of you is wanting to have it. So if both people have kind of given it up for a variety of reasons, you know, biochemistry, low testosterone. um, It was never that good to begin with, and they don't want to part ways, and they don't want to revamp the relationship, so they just kind of put it to bed, so to speak. Um, There's lots of reasons why people give up sex, in my opinion, Sex is part of life energy, and it is vital to a relationship, but there are mm-hmm. plenty of people who have long-term relationships where sex is not happening anymore, mm-hmm. and I think maybe they choose, the, they choose security over vitality, maybe. And they might disagree with me, but there are people who choose more sexual vitality and there are people who choose security and both have a price.
0: Yes, I absolutely, I definitely agree with that because I do see that. I do see that more often than not is a relationship is really based on something outside of their connection, even their intimacy, the lifestyle, the, the security is one of the things or the fear of change, you know, or the history. We've built such a, such a history together that we don't want to give that up, even though what they have in their relationship, all the chemistry, it is lost. And I often say, you know, it's not necessarily about how much sex you're having. It's how much do you enjoy the sex you're having? You know, because in my opinion, I think it—it's not a, just an act to get it done. I see a lot of women, you know, just say, "Well, I, you know, I just have to do my duty," or, you know, "You have mm-hmm. got to put out because I need to, I need to put car a gas in the car," or, you know, "I want to go to to Palm Springs or whatever," you know. So they do it as a duty, and I feel that that's so heartbreaking when you are giving up that really important piece of yourself and this opportunity to connect when there's an, another reason going on. Um, when you look at that, when you look at couples who maybe are not having sex, I mean, it's a biological need, I think, for a lot of people too. Do you see that then the desire to fulfill that need outside of the relationship is stronger when they aren't, when it's not healthy inside the relationship? Like, does that have oh. any sort of connection, do you think, with infidelity? Well, I think it's also an
1: emotional need. Um, you know, it's not just... I mean, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. I forgot to ask how explicit I can be, but... Go ahead. Okay. So, <laughs> say, in the example of a guy, it's not just a matter of getting his dick wet. Is, You know, guys want to be received. They want to be appreciated. They want to be desired. I mean, women do too, but for this mm-hmm. example, I'm just... the. With the wet dick example, I'm going with guys, but um, guys want to be wanted. They want to be mm. they want to be appreciated. And if assuming a heterosexual model just for the sake of this conversation, though that's not always the case, you know, if a guy at home and like his wife is harping on him about stuff and she's complaining about stuff. Or, you know, most of the time when he initiates, she turns him down, and he's getting a lot of rejection and a lot of loses. Guys are win-lose creatures. Every experience is either success or failure. So if a guy is experiencing a lot of failure and rejection at home, Mm -hmm. you know, it would be more appealing to go and, you know, do the fun stuff with somebody outside. But another reason for affairs is people are not always, since you mentioned affairs, I'm commenting on that, people are not always having an affair to move away from their relationship. Sometimes it's a way to move towards themselves, Mm -hmm. like to reconnect with a part of themselves that they have lost touch with in fact, sometimes, you know, people can be happily married and find themselves having an affair. So it's not, you know, the, it's not the stereotypical affair like, oh, well, things aren't good in the marriage. I'm not getting laid over here. I'm going to go get it over there. It's mm-hmm. not usually that simple. And I always tell no. people having affairs, I say, just assume you're going to get find it, found out. Just, just assume
0: yeah and I love that you said that too because I think that affairs are so multi-layered there are so many reasons why they have they happen and there's there's meaning to why to it for both parties you know to what it means to each person the person who have who had the affair and the person who who is is um being you know betrayed but when we bring it back to you know the sexual piece, I often also you know work with people who are contemplating the end of their relationship. And when we go a bit deeper and and look at, you know, where did the, where did the spark be lost? Like, let's look back at the chemistry. And there are people that say, you know, I don't think it was even ever there. So can you build something back when you never had it? Like, let's go into this because like, can we actually spark intimacy with someone when we never had it in the first place? That's, that's the big, that's a very good question. I
1: think that chemistry is either there or it's not there. I don't know that you can create chemistry when there never was any. Yeah. However, and I think all too often people think, oh, well, all these other things are in place and we don't have this rip-roaring chemistry, but, you know, I'll make it work you know, because they want to have a family or because they want to be married or because they're in business together for whatever reason or because they don't want to be alone anymore. Often couples come in and they say, oh, we used to have a great sex life at the beginning of our relationship, you know, 5, 10, 20 years ago, and we would like to get back to that. And what I tell them is, you're not going to get back to that because you have both grown You are not the people you were 5, 10, 20 years ago when you got married. Mm -hmm. And your relationship has evolved. Relationships evolve. They have sort of developmental stages. And so, you're not going to go back to the beginning of of the relationship where you were fucking like bunnies and you didn't have a lot at stake. Mm -hmm. You were just discovering and there wasn't much to lose. You're not going to go back to that because that's the beginning stage of a relationship. However you have a lot more substance to who you are now with the you know the years that have gone by and the life experiences that you've had and the um the, the longevity of the relationship and you can you can rebirth a relationship you know you can bring life back into a relationship that is stale mm. but i don't think you can create chemistry where there isn't any
0: yeah yeah and I think that's just the reality of it you know like we really cannot light a fire without kindling like if we don't have it it's not it's not starting but I love how you said we can recreate our relationship because I do find that so many couples who are individuals even who are contemplating the ending of their marriage are like, I just wish things were the way they were, or they were the way they are at the beginning. And you're right. Like, it's never going to be that way again, because that's what it was then. That is what brought you together. That is the the beginning stages of a relationship and your honeymoon phase your honeymoon phase is not sustainable forever but you you use that chemistry and it morphs into compatibility and what's the underlying reason that you two are together and to me there's almost this depth of intimacy that can be fostered if we open up if we open up to doing that so when you find like Let's say a couple's come and they've really lost like some spark in their sex life, almost to the point where now it's kind of uncomfortable, right? They're not having sex a lot anymore. They almost don't really know, you know, how to do that or communicating it. Where do you begin with someone who's just like, we need help here, but it's also really uncomfortable area to go in because we got to be vulnerable? right? We got to be willing to open up. So how do you even start that process of, okay, let's let's rekindle this fire. Let's see what we can do.
1: Well, not being willing to be vulnerable is probably precisely what got them into that predicament. Mm. If they're not willing to be vulnerable now, they probably weren't that vulnerable before. And I'm going to comment for a minute on the word intimacy, because in this country, People use the word intimacy as a euphemism for sex, but it is a euphemism. Intimacy, and I mentioned this so many times in my book, intimacy is into me you see. It's revealing your vulnerable self for the sake of wanting to be known. Mm. Not, for, not as a tit for tat. It's not like I'm going to show you mine, you show me yours. It's just revealing yourself and all your flaws because you want the other person to know who you are. I so that. that is intimacy. And what my clients do with me, with me is one-way intimacy. It's one-way because they're revealing themselves to me. Mm. So you can have intimacy and you can have fucking. And mm. if you're lucky, you have the two together. Right. right. Often, people might be you know, intimate in their relationship or think they are. And then the clothes come off and they're vulnerable and they're scared. And intimacy goes out the window, and then it's just the body parts doing their thing, which Mm -hmm. is an accident waiting to happen because people are anxious, and they're not as present, and they're not as connected. Maybe they don't even make eye contact. Mm -hmm. I mean, I talk to people about eyes open orgasm, and they look at me like I'm nuts. Like oh. you can't. And I said, no, you can't sneeze with your eyes open because I have allergies and I know, but you can <laughs> have an orgasm with your eyes open just because they never do in the movies. Doesn't mean you
0: can't it. And so what does that do for you then? Let's just say you experiment with this and people are like, oh my gosh, I can't look into my partner's eyes during this moment. You know, what does that do? What connection does that create?
1: Oh, God. Eyes open orgasm? It's like you let someone see deep into you. It's so vulnerable and intimate and erotic and bonding.
0: Mm -hmm. But it's also very uncomfortable for people.
1: uh, I uh, I don't know. Not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Not necessarily. No, it's part of what makes sex really good. It's Mm -hmm. like, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean, having an orgasm is, is wonderful, but having an orgasm... And looking into your lover's eyes is the best.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I do. I do agree with you. But you have to feel safe with them to do that too, right?
1: Yeah. So I want to sort of address sort of an earlier part of your question, which is, you know, when couples come in and they're just really uncomfortable and they don't even know how to get things going anymore, is I operate on the premise that nobody is broken and nobody needs to be fixed. And I always try to figure out how do things make sense? How does this... How does it make sense that these two people picked each other for example Mm. so for example um you know if you have a guy who has performance anxiety and he picks a wife who has low desire it is no coincidence it's an unconscious choice but if you're afraid of having sex you're going to pick somebody who's not going to want to have sex with you a whole lot Right. And if you don't want to have sex a whole lot, you're going to pick somebody who's kind of like tentative about the whole thing, and then you can sort of, you know, call it off. Mm. It always makes perfect sense. That's just one example. So I always try to help people figure out how it makes sense that they picked each other, and how does it make sense that they're stuck the way that they are. Right. Then, you know, address, you you know, lists of resentments and all the the communication that happens. There's a conversation I have with clients that I call the nitty-gritty, where I go into every nitty-gritty little detail of what happens. Like, you know, we might spend an hour and a half talking about who initiates, Mm. because they can have different experiences of it. Maybe one person's been initiating. She's been making his favorite meatloaf, and he didn't know she was initiating. Oh, okay. And how do you know when the other person is initiating, and how do you feel? Do you get anxious? When do you get anxious? Do you get anxious before they initiate? Do you get anxious when they text you during the day? Do you get anxious when they take your hand and lead you upstairs? Do you get anxious when the clothes come off? Interesting. When do you get anxious?
0: Right, And I like that you pointed out that initiation doesn't have to mean, okay, now who's starting to, to, you know, who's who's starting sex right now you know that it can start outside of the bedroom and making meatballs doing something for your spouse I call it kind of simmering like are you are you simmering in your relationship like is one person you know rubbing the other person's back sometimes or just holding your hand or you know caressing or giving a little kiss to the back of the neck when you're over the spaghetti sauce at the oven you know like these are all of these small bids that start to simmer up this and 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 this warmth of desire or creating this desire, I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's desire, you should you can address that for me, but this this wanting of okay, there's all these little kind of bids that are that are I'm simmering now, and I'm now in, interested instead of just okay, going to bed and then here we go, because now we're in bed and now we we do the act, and there's none of the 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 kind of foreplay business you know that happens yeah. downstairs.
1: And all this simmering that you're mentioning, and all these bids for connection, um, some people don't do those anymore because they don't want that to be misconstrued, or they don't want the other person to feel pressured. Because, like, he kisses the back of her neck while she's stirring the spaghetti sauce, and she's like, "Oh my God, he wants to get it. He, you know, he wants to have sex. I'm not in the mood. I got to clean up the kitchen." You know, sometimes couples are not doing those anymore. And that's right. one of the things I tell them, it's like, you know, you know pat each other's back, each other's butt while you're loading the dishwasher or when you cross paths in the hallway, like do these little touches that you don't do with anybody
0: else. Mm, And that don't necessarily have to lead there because I can totally understand that these certain messages that you give someone is the signal to I'm initiating sex later. And I think that sometimes you're right. Women are like, oh, like, please don't because I don't need it to lead there. Why is it every time that, you know, I give you a massage or you give me one, it has to end in sex. There's a sort of this expectation of any type of intimate touching or or, you know, closeness is supposed to lead there. But I think a lot of the the heightened and the heat that you can create in your relationship is sometimes having it simmer without it having boil over every time. You don't need to have sex every time, but you do need to have that warmness, that simmering between the two of you That's that's kind of hot, this heat that, you know, I can... We can play around or fool around a little bit and doesn't have to lead there every single time. So I feel safe to not have to have this expectation that every single time we start to get physical or just kiss that it has to lead somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's a lot of pressure and I can see why a lot of people stop for sure. Yeah. Either fear of committing to
1: to more than they're willing to or fear of being rejected.
0: Yes. The rejection piece I can see for sure because that's huge. And I I do think that's very, it's almost a bit of a trauma, right? Every time you are rejected, it's this little bit of a, like a paper cut. And so it reduces the intimacy that you can create between you.
1: Yeah. And some people are more resilient than others and can take more paper cuts than others. But on the whole, yeah.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So let's talk about a little bit about desire, because I know when you've, a lot of people have been in a relationship for a long time, that desire can change. And I think that it also, too, partly has to do with like how we feel in our own bodies. Like, do we even feel desirable in ourselves, first of all? But let's go into that. Like, how do we create desire and where does that come from? And can we get it back?
1: Well, I have a little soapbox talk about desire, and there's a little video on my website. So I see so many people who think they have no desire or who think they are broken, women in particular, and especially women around, the, around menopause. Menopause can start in your 40s. So. so I talk to people about the difference between desire and arousal. And a lot of the popular media sort of miss, you know, doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't describe desire in a way that's helpful to people. So desire is the willingness to get started. It's the willingness to engage your partner and see where it's going to go. You don't know where it's going to go. It's just the willingness to get started. And you can come to desire from three places. You can come to it from your crotch that horny, kind of throbbing loins kind of feeling. And guys have testosterone, so they tend to have it going on in their crotch more. So -hmm. it's not good or bad, it's just different. And you can also come to it from your heart because you love this person, you want to feel close to them, you want to connect with them, you want to smell them and taste them and feel good with them. Or you can come to it from your head because it's been... You know, two days, two weeks, two months, two years, whatever. And you think it would be a good idea to get it on. Mm -hmm. So crotch, heart, or head, it doesn't matter where you start. And it doesn't matter if one person is 100% in their crotch and the other person is like 50% in their heart and 50% in their head. Okay? It doesn't matter. You get started. Mm -hmm. And then... You know, the lubricating, the heavy breathing, the contorting, the horny feeling, that's arousal. That's what happens once things get underway. Now, if you come to it from your crotch, you're going to feel more arousal in your crotch. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have it going on in your crotch to get started. And that's where a lot of people are short-sighted and suffer unnecessarily because they think, oh, well, you know, I don't have desire because I don't have that, you know zero to 60 going on in my crotch mm. especially you know women around menopause mm-hmm. so when I tell people that they're like oh gosh I'm not broken and it gives them something to work with they're like well yeah I do have desire I do want to you know engage him and see where it goes and yeah yes. so that's my definition of de- desire is not the same as, as libido libido yes. libido is more like the horniness I'm not knocking horniness. It's wonderful. Yeah. But
0: it's not a prerequisite. Oh, that's so interesting. I love that you just made that, that distinction there. So, are you saying too that you don't need to have a really high libido to have desire? In no, a relationship? you don't. Oh, okay. you got to have
1: willingness and good communication skills. And, you know, to communicate, you know, what you want and what works for you and what you're available for and, um, Mm -hmm. and co-create it, like be emotionally attuned and co-create it.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that because I I do know that when we're, we're approaching, you know, menopausal age, the libido piece, it, it plays a big factor when our hormones are changing and all of that. So we don't think that we have desire but in fact we do because I think a lot of women is even married women can say you know I don't I just don't feel it anymore for my husband however you know that so-and-so hottie down there like I would take him in a second you know, type of thing so like the desire is there but I think we tend to put it in the wrong place sometimes
1: and they may be thinking they're not feeling desire and they may be masturbating a couple times a week right you know so it is
0: there yeah, and it's not, what the difference I'm thinking is the difference between wanting it, but then wanting it with your partner. It's a lot more fraught with a real live
1: human being on the other end of the penis. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're going to have preferences, and they're going to move a certain way, and you know, there's history, and they're going to have emotions and feelings and expectations, and. And, you know, it might be easier to just kind of fantasize about the UPS guy with your vibrator
0: and kind of rub one out in five minutes and kind of get on with your day. Right. Interesting. So when you notice that, when the desire for, or maybe let's talk about physical attraction. Like if there is a lack of physical attraction between a couple – Can they still create this, this sort of desire, this, this pleasurable, this, I mean, more than sex type of relationship is how important is, you know, physical attraction when it comes down to this?
1: You know, we're all going to age and gravity is going to get, you know, our, our ass is going to slide down the back of our thighs, despite, you know, some of our best efforts. Um, I love when I have older clients, like in their, you know, 70s come in, who are still discovering things about their sexuality. You, do, you don't have to be, you know, young and toned and gorgeous to have a great sex life. The thing about being older is you have more emotional development. Usually you have more quality of presence. You have more um, emotional skills and communication skills, and it's really about quality of presence and showing up and people have different preferences. I mean, you need to be attracted to the person you're with and there's different strokes for different folks, but you don't have to be, you know, a hottie in old age Mm -hmm. to be having a good sexual relationship. And if you love somebody, you know, you're attracted to them emotionally. It's not just Mm -hmm. being attracted physically.
0: Yeah. So it's, different things for different people. Yeah. And that does create a lot de- a lot of a deeper connection is when it's coming from a place of emotion. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, you know, I want to go back to a second in terms of like initiation, because I think there's a bit of a difference between, you know, a woman feels more emotionally when she feels more emotionally connected to her partner, she's more inclined to, to want to have sex with him. If a man feels more connected to his partner when he has sex with her, then he's more willing to kind of open up, do the chores around the house, give her a hand. And so I find that there's this sort of, you know, dysfunction. She needs the emotional connection first in order to have sex. He needs the sex in order to be emotionally connected. So how do we balance this when are, those needs are very different? And I, I've i posted a couple of times on this and I get a lot of backlash from men about, well, well, she needs to start first or. Like, you know, then I, she just needs to do it and then I'll, I'll, I'll want to help her out more. Or, you know, she'll say something, well, he needs to emotionally connect with me in order to ha- to want to have sex. So basically who starts, because if they're both waiting for the other to, f- to meet that need first. I find that they're both continuing just to wait forever and it becomes this game of tit for tat because you're not meeting my need emotionally, therefore I'm not having sex with you. Well, I'm not having sex with you because you're not meeting my needs emotionally. So it's kind of like, whose turn is it? <laughs> you know.
1: Well, you know, there's a saying, women need to feel good to have sex. Men need to have sex to feel good. It just is what it is. Um.
0: I forgot part of your question. You know, like in in terms of like, how do we balance this out? Because I think- Oh, who's
1: going to go first? Yeah. You both go first. Mm. It's like, bring the best of yourself to your relationship. It's like couples, I had a mentor who called it a mutual deprivation pact when neither person wants to go first because they're playing it safe and they don't want to be vulnerable and they want the other person to go first. It's like- you're married, you're committed, like bring the best of yourself to your relationship. And so right. what if it's always the same person who goes first? It's like, if you want it to happen, go first.
0: Right. Yes, because then you do have it. Well, I, I initiated last time and I've initiated the last five times and you haven't done anything.
1: Okay. So if you're waiting for the other person to initiate, you you don't get to complain if sex doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, what is it? Be the change you want to you see, Gandhi. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's right. like, just go first, be vulnerable. Like who are you saving it for? That's so, that's petty. The tit
0: for tat thing is
1: just so petty. It, It doesn't lead to anything
0: good. No, it never does in anything. You know, I totally agree with that. And when it comes down to, you know, busy lifestyles, when you're in kind of middle age and you're dealing with the kids and there's almost this sense of like, there's no time. To have sex right do you recommend to people sometimes to create these sex dates that you hear like you know it's Friday night and so they know that they've got it on the calendar like let's schedule a night at once a week that we're you know going to going to have sex or is this I mean, what's your take on that? If I had a dollar for every time a couple's come
1: in and said oh we don't have time or you know One of us is a night owl and the other one's an early riser. And I always call bullshit on it. I mean, you make time for what Mm -hmm. you prioritize. You know, do you have time to watch TV in the evening? Do you have time to go to the gym? Do you, you know, have time to play golf? Do you have time to check Facebook? I mean, you make time for what is important to you. Right. Right. So the time thing, I, I, go, I go into what's the payoff? What's the payoff of not having sex? How do you benefit from not having sex? Well, I don't have to be vulnerable. I don't have to deal with my resentments. I don't have to initiate. Um, I feel inadequate and I don't have to feel inadequate. I'm kind of bored with the sex we're having, but I don't really know how to talk about it, so it's easier to just avoid it. Lots of benefits, lots of payoffs. Mm-hmm. So the, t- the too tired, I mean, I get it, you know. I mean, I, I have a young child. I mean, you know, having having a kid takes a lot of time, but it's certainly not impossible to have a vibrant sex life when you have a child.
0: Yeah. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, just
1: lock the bedroom door. That's one thing Americans do not do. They do not have a lock on the bedroom door.
0: Mm, that's a good point.
1: I, I, I tell parents, it's like, why is the kid using the master bathroom? Right. There's another bathroom. It's like, close the door, lock the door, and tell them, unless somebody's bleeding or there's an emergency, it's like, and even tell them, like, mommy and daddy are having sex. It's like, don't mm-hmm. knock on the door unless mm-hmm. you need this. And the kids are going to go, like,
0: ew. They're not right. going to come anywhere near you. I know. And it's kids safe. don't want to hear, hear that, but we also don't want, a lot of people don't want to say that. So that's the, going to a di- different topic. And I don't know, like, if this is A Can of Worms, you want to open a whole different show. But when we talk about, we we do, I feel as a, maybe it's not just a North American culture, but we are very open to having our children in our room, in our space, in our, in our beds. So what happens to those couples who are co-sleeping then with their children still? You know, and sometimes it can be up to five years old for some people, and I'm not going to knock what people do. It's all whatever works for you. But does this, do you see that, this interferes with their sex life.
1: Yes. They end up in
0: my office. It's the death of sex. (laughs) You're
1: not going to have sex in the space where, you know, you've just cuddled your child.
0: Mm, Or when they're always there with you. And they're always there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Might require some creativity, a lunchtime opportunity. One
1: time (laughs) during the day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, If you really want to make it happen. Yeah. I agree. Do you think that there's a certain number of times per week that is healthier than than more or you know do you say that there should be a you you google it and they should say health it says healthy couples should be having a minimum of of sex one time per week like what's your thoughts
1: you know this word healthy gets applied to sex a lot and I'm not really sure what it means Mm -hmm. it might mean the norm like what you think everybody else down the street is doing so I don't really concern myself with what's healthy. I only concern myself with what is working for that couple. Mm-hmm. So if it's twice a week or twice a year, Christmas and birthdays, I don't care as long as it works for you. There's no, there's no standard that you right. have. There's no quota you have
0: to meet. Yes, it's really it's whatever works for you. And when you say whatever works for you, this is when you have no complaints in the intimacy department, in the sex department, you're happy, your partner's happy, twice a year is all good, no one's going outside of the marriage getting, getting sex, no one's watching porn on the side, like, this is when we know it, this is working. Yeah, I mean, twice
1: a year is a bit of an extreme, but if that's what, if people are happy with that, then who's to say, you know, they need to do something different. Yeah. It's whatever, whatever works for every couple.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And often the guy is wanting it, again, assuming a heterosexual model, which is not the case. The guy is usually wanting it more than the woman because the guy has testosterone. Um, but, you know,
0: if he's a good lover, he might get a yes every time. Mm, right. Yeah. And there does come down to that good lover piece. You know, it's not always about the receiving. It is about the give and take. And are these things, too, that you start to teach couples, you know, how do you become a better lover?
1: Yes, but I often talk about the being of sex and not the doing because people think it's a doing thing and it's not. It's a being thing. It's how you show up. It's being grounded in yourself. It's being emotionally attuned to your beloved. Um, sometimes people can attune emotionally to the, their dog or their kids, but not to their spouse. Mm. And why? And quality of touch, like is if you're touching your spouse, like do you have energy in your hand? Can the other person feel it? Or is it just meat? Mm, So it's intentional. Yeah. So it's intentional so that you're present. You know, Esther Perel said something years ago. She said, sex is not something you do. It's a place you go. And I would add, it's a place you go, hopefully together. Yes. Because sometimes one person goes and the other person gets left behind. Mm. You know, one person is in the zone And the other person is left behind because they're disconnected.
0: Right. And how do you connect in that moment? Because I can see that happening for sure. I can understand what you're saying.
1: At that moment, they they need to have either a code or a, you know, come back, babe, you know, you left without me or can we slow things down and, you know, do more, you know, Mm -hmm. face, you know, eye gazing. Or um, switch positions so that they can see each other. You know, if they're doing it rear-entry, you know, maybe they're feeling kind of disconnected. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, becoming a better lover is a lot about paying attention to your partner's, you know, your partner's breath. Mm -hmm. When their breath catches or if they start to roll their head, you know, everybody has a, a way that they move when they're aroused, and it's like a fingerprint, and paying attention to that, right, and responding to that, because sometimes, you know, for example, a guy might be anxious about losing his erection, and he just kind of plows forth because he wants to, like, you know, get it in in case it disappears, and he wants to hurry up and come so he doesn't, you know, lose the whole thing. Meanwhile, she's like, you know, he's gone zero to 60, and she's not even at 20. You know, there's not enough foreplay. And so sometimes people get anxious and speed things up. Or a woman might be afraid of not getting turned on because women are like crockpots. Men are like microwaves. Mm. And sometimes women are like, oh, God, you know, it's taking too long. He's going to get locked up. He's going to get bored or whatever. And so they hurry things along.
0: Mm. Yes.
1: And, And then they get, they're not aroused enough. And the sex is mediocre. And that you right. desire because they're not in a big hurry to do that again
0: after a while. Yes. That's so, where I think communication and telling each other what you like, what you need in the moment yeah. can really help and that in that connectivity.
1: Yeah. So being a better lover is all of that.
0: Hmm. That's so deep. I love that you talked about that emotional connectedness because I think that we can get into it so deeply that we forget that we're, supposed to be connecting with the other person i have heard that it was so many stories and even me personally you know it's not until a week the communication factor in my marriage we did not have that there was not it was not a safety and so it was always more of an act not not a being at all but in my previous relationship um with my partner who passed there was a whole level of that emotional connectivity that I really had to adjust to because he was very open wanted to talk about it wanted to you know even talk during it and especially talk after it to see like what well, did you like that or did you notice that I did this and I at first I was like frozen because I'm thinking, (laughs) we're talking about this? Like, oh my God. And then as soon as we, I started opening up and talking about it more, he made me feel so comfortable about like, this is how, you know, I want to get to know you. I want to be able to, to make sure that this is also as pleasurable for you as it is for me. And it just made everything so much better. You know, it wasn't scary anymore. We were both communicating. And then our sex was incredible because there was that vulnerability piece that our walls came down we weren't scared of of saying stupid things because there was nothing stupid that could ever be said you know
1: yeah so he he created the conversation and you rose to the occasion yes and that was intimacy that was into me, you see I'm so glad
0: you had that yes. and I'm so sorry you lost him thank you Yeah, I know. Yeah, me too. It was, uh, but a lot that I learned, you know, and this was just, this was just one of the pieces, you know, the intimacy piece is, is learning how you can just really get to know someone else on that physical and emotional level to invest in that being part of sex and not just an act, because the more you do go about it from a being sense, the more you actually want it you know, and the more that you enjoy it and doesn't have to be this long drawn out process every time. It it can be sometimes fast, but just as enjoyable, you know, in that moment because you're connected. And he was also very much like the, the eyes open orgasm, which like freaked me out at first. I'm not going to lie, but then it was so powerful, you know, like, it was one of those things he initiated again. Like it was one of those things I had never done and I always thought was a bit weird. But then once you do it with someone that you really love, it's so bonding, you know, and I can see how it can be uncomfortable at first, but if you both just go for it, such a deeper experience.
1: Yeah. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you had that. And I'm glad that you're talking about it because people do shy away from that. And that is what mm-hmm. makes sex good. And that's what makes it
0: sustainable. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely believe so. Um So tell us a bit, before we wrap up, where can people find you? And if they are struggling, you know, whether it's even just independently, because I know sometimes a lot of women in menopause, they've lost their, maybe their desire, but also they're dealing with hormonal issues. So, an orgasm might be harder or they're getting to know their own bodies again. You know, what do you specifically, um, do you offer any programs for people, specifically one-on-one coach? What are you doing to help people?
1: Well, I do counseling with people. So what I offer is a free consultation. So my website is dr6.net, D-R-S-I-X.net. If all else fails, just Google Claudia Six. Six like the number, S-I-X, you'll find me and at the very top of my website there's a red bar and it says book a free consultation and there's a question questionnaire to help people organize their thoughts and give me a heads up about what they want help with and I'm I'm happy to offer a free consultation to anybody who might want to work with me
0: I love that I love that thank you and so your website is the best place that To find you. I love it. And and your website is going to be linked in the show notes. So if anyone wants to get to know Claudia more or what she's all about or to reach out for to her, if you are curious about how to, you know, become a better lover, spice up your sex life, become learn how to be vulnerable and more emotionally connected as a lover, you know, she's got a lot of endless things to be able to help and support you, as well as your book, right? Your book is called. Erotic Integrity, and it's also, there's a page on
1: the website, dr There's a tab that says Book, and you'll see all the book reviews and awards, and you'll be able to order it there.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you, Claudia. I really appreciated this talk today. I love that we can talk openly this way because I think that sex is something that we do need to talk about, that it's not taboo, that we need to shed the the layers of the onion and be more comfortable. And that's just going to add to the enjoyment and the fulfillment that we have in our intimate relationships.
1: This was a wonderful conversation, Cindy. It was very enjoyable. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks
0: for coming. <laughs> Thanks for having me on my show. <laughs> and, keep, and keep up the good work. I really enjoy your podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Claudia. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week.